The messenger bowed low, pressing its muzzle to the floor. Speak, speak, snarled the gray seer, too agitated to appreciate the fawning. Unexpected complications, most powerful of potentiates, said the scurrier. Before the creature could finish, the gray seer sent bolts of lightning to roast him alive. Bad news can wait, thought the rat mage, and it was always best to kill the messenger. Hopelessly addicted to Warpstone, this is the War Games Orchard. This episode is all about the Grey Seers and Vermin Lords of the Skaven. Two of the most interesting wizard characters in the game that just happen to belong to the same faction and an episode that I've wanted to do for a while now. Before we get into any rat magics and magic rats, let's talk hobby and news. We'll start off with hobby this week. As regular listeners will know, I've been doing a lot of work on my Gene Stealer cult for 2nd edition 40k and all of the weirdness that is that army. I've actually taken a break from that, and not because I lost interest or anything like that, mostly because my buddy Patrick had a really good idea. When we're able to stream games again, he thought it would be a really good idea for us to do the second edition Battle for Armageddon scenario pack, which is using the models from the old second ed starter set. He has quite a collection of space marines from the era. I have been working towards collecting orcs, and it just so happens that we have those exact miniatures. So we are going to, once things open up again, do a streamed series of games going through each of the scenarios from that campaign, which was designed to introduce people to 2nd edition 40k, and I think will make for a really interesting video for the channel. So to prepare for that, I am painting up the Orcs and the Gretchen from that starter set. All in all, there are 40 Gretchen and 20 Orcs. Right now I've done 30 Gretchen and 5 Orcs, so I have a little bit of a ways to go, but I'm making good progress. These guys aren't the prettiest miniatures I've ever painted, but they look pretty good, they're competent, and they'll look good on camera. They're nice and bright in that second ed aesthetic. And I'm actually really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's given me a neat little side project. I've also done up a couple of test models recently. Test models are something that I like to do when I want to paint, but I don't really want to be productive. I just kind of want to do something different. I just want to grab a random model and be like, hey, what if I painted it this color? And so... I have done up an Eldar Guardian. I keep playing with the Eldar schemes a bit. I've got a whole bunch of Eldar, and I don't know when I'll get around to painting the actual army, which is great because I have no idea what kind of color scheme I want to go with. I keep waffling back and forth on, do I want to go with an established color scheme, or do I want to go with something of my own devising? My latest Eldar test model is one of the classic Guardians with Lasguns, and I have painted that up in the Ulthwi color scheme, not the black and bone that would become popular in 3rd edition and onward, but that classic black and yellow, which I much prefer because, of course, everything was better in the 90s. So together, those two things have 
kept me busy in what hobby time I have. As far as news goes, well, we're still in lockdown here. Nova Scotia is not doing well at all. Our case numbers continue to climb. They probably would seem like rookie numbers to a lot of places, but we are a very small province in a very remote part of the country, and the fact that we're in the triple digits is quite alarming. And right now it doesn't look like we have crested or really gotten things under control in any meaningful way. It's very unfortunate, and this wave seems to be the worst wave that has hit us. Vaccinations are coming, and they're just not coming quickly enough, unfortunately. Right now it looks like the month of May will be a write-off almost completely. Hopefully things will start to open back up in June. I just really want a barbecue. That's all I want right now, is just a big old barbecue on a grill-up too many hot dogs and hamburgers and just eat them all. Oh, yeah. Luckily, though, I am keeping myself busy with this stuff. I've started running again seriously. I've been a runner for several years now, and I've been very competitive at times, run marathons and that kind of thing, and I've started doing that again, and it's fun. It's very zen for me. I find it very meditative. I'm working on getting my time back down to competition level so that I can try and win a few races, assuming that we have any races between now and the end of the year. Hopefully the fall races will still be going on and I'll be able to do that. But right now, everything, as far as the War Games Orchard is concerned, is in a bit of a holding pattern. I've got the podcast, of course, but as far as our YouTube channel goes, it's just whatever Scott and I can put out. I'm actually working on the third installment from the Lost Units videos, and that one is going to be on the Halfling Hot Pot, which I think is going to be a really good one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to both make and for viewers. I really enjoyed my last video on the Orc Snakebite Boarboys, but that video really hasn't done as well as the first one did on the Skin Cold One Riders. And I'm wondering if that is just the fact that there's a lot more choices for people's attention when you're making videos for 40k as opposed to fantasy. So maybe I'll end up sticking to fantasy for this series. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I know the podcast doesn't do nearly as well when I do 40k episodes as when I do fantasy episodes. But every now and then I do need a break. So you will keep seeing 40k on this podcast. It's just going to be that kind of early era 40k. And I still need to finish off the retrospectives on the Games Workshop Summer Campaigns. Speaking of which, right now over on our Patreon, we have the latest bonus episode out. That is a ranking of the top five Games Workshop Summer Campaigns of all time. It is a nostalgic little romp that I go on and grade what I consider to be the absolute best of Games Workshop summer campaigns and rank them against each other and just kind of explore what made them successful or those parts where they fell down. If you'd like to listen to that or any of our other bonus episodes, why not check out our Patreon? It is non-tiered, so for whatever donation you feel like from $1 to Jeff Bezos level of dollars, you can get access to all of the bonus content and really help out the show. 
All right, now with the hobby and news out of the way, let's dive into some magical rat business. Today's retrospective takes us back to 3rd edition Warhammer Fantasy. Skaven are present earlier than this, however, Grey Seers don't really become a thing until 3rd edition, and we'll actually have to wait till Hero Hammer to get our Vermin Lords. But we're going to start in 3rd edition today, and 3rd edition is really interesting. You can see so much of what was to come already present, at least in a proto form in 3rd edition. I know I've mentioned it before, but Skaven in particular were so well developed that it's it's kind of incredible. Let me tell you about what is in a name here. So the way heroes worked in 3rd edition was that you had levels of hero that you could buy for your army, and each army had a choice of different levels of hero. So for example, the Skaven army had a level 5 hero, a 10, a 15, a 20, and a 25, and then they had the same thing with wizards, a 5, a 10, a 15, a 20, 25. The higher the level of the character, the better the stats, the more powerful they were, and of course, the more points that they cost. For example, a level 5 hero would set you back 28 points and was basically the equivalent of a champion in a later era. A level 25 hero would cost you 117 points and was probably what I would consider a souped-up lord in other editions. What makes this system so interesting was that Games Workshop gave each of these levels a name depending on the race, and Skaven got some of the best names. If you have listened to our Warhammer quiz show, one of the questions was, what is a level 25 Beastman hero? And it turned out to be a Spasmgast, which is a wild name. Sounds like something out of Age of Sigmar. And 3rd edition is full of this kind of thing. But nobody does it quite as well as Skaven. I'm going to share with you both the names of the heroes and the names of the wizards because it's fun. So for heroes, we start off pretty normal here. They start off at Clan Chieftains. These are kind of the champion level heroes, level 5. Level 10 is Clan Warlords. Level 15 are Vermin Lords, though not in the way that we know them in later eras. A level 20 is a Sewer Tyrant, which I just can't get enough of. That needs to be a thing today. And level 25 is a Lord of Decay. What's really neat about going back to these old eras is Games Workshop has a real habit of recycling their own ideas. And you can see where some of these things, like Chieftains and Warlords, would later come back as like the Skaven Hero level equivalent and Lord level equivalent. Lord of Decay, of course, being the 12 rulers of Skaven in Skaven Blight, and the absolute authority over the whole Skaven race. And Vermin Lords change from heroes into terrifying rat demons. We also have the Clan Eshin heroes, which we covered back in the Assassin episode, but bear repeating here because they've got fun names as well. The level 5 hero was the Strangler. The level 10 hero is the Color, 
and the level 15 hero is the Garotter. Then we get two wizards. And the first three are actually Clan Scryer wizards. Firstly, you get the Scryer Seers at level 5, the Scryer Warp Weavers at 10, the Scryer Warp Squealers at 15, which is, I think, my favorite one. Then you get a White Skaven Sorcerer at level 20. This guy will never be seen or heard from again. And finally, level 25 is our Grey Seer. The Grey Seer will set you back 327 points, by the way. The way magic worked in the third edition is that all races kind of use the same magical spell list, and you had a lot of options about what kind of spells you wanted to cast, but there wasn't any specific Skaven magic at this time. So the question is, what do you get for your 327 points? Well, you get the maximum spell casting ability, and you get pretty decent profile. Grey Seers are movement 5, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 5, strength 4, toughness 4, wounds 4, initiative 7, 1 attack, they had leadership 9, intelligence 9, cool of 8, willpower of 10. So other than attacks, they are in a pretty good place profile-wise. The lore for our Grey Seers is pretty sparse at this level. We are in the 3rd edition armies book, which covers a lot of armies, so not a ton of lore for each of your unit entries. And the little blurb we get on Grey Seers tells us the following. The patron deity of the Skaven is the Horned Rat, served by the 13 Lords of Decay, each ruling one of the secret Skaven cities. The Grey Seers are the direct servants of the Lords of Decay. They are wizards of great power, drawing their magical energies directly from Warpstone. Again, this is the proto-era. We, we have the framework of what our Grey Seers are, but we don't go into a lot of detail. I do like the little bit about the Lords of Decay ruling over 13 cities of Skaven, which is something, of course, that would be changed to the Lords of Decay ruling from the Temple of the Horned Rat in Skavenblight. Just for completeness sake, since it is technically a vermin lord, let's look at the Skaven level 15 hero. This is probably the least impressive vermin lord we will talk about today, but the cheapest at 72 points. He is movement 5, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 4, toughness 4, 3 wounds, initiative 6, 3 attacks, leadership 8, Intelligence 6, Cool 6, Willpower 8. This is what would become about a hero or lord level profile in later editions. Nothing to write home about, but at this point, this is just a Skaven hero and not a terrifying rat demon. Speaking of which, let's move on so we can talk about terrifying rat demons in the Hero Hammer era. The 4th edition Skaven army book is a real joy, as are most of the army books of this era. You get a lot of good fluff, a lot of good rules, and some really interesting tidbits about Skaven history. So as we're getting into the more recognizable era here, we're going to take a little bit of a detour 
before we get into all of the 4th edition stats and read what the final lore on the Grey Seers would tell us. So we're actually going to go to the 7th edition book and we're going to share what it has to say. The Grey Seers are also known as the Chosen of the Great Horned One, prophets of the Lord of the Great Below, and the voice of the Horned Rat. They are powerful sorcerers, capable of channeling eldritch energies in destructive ways, leveling enemy armies with lightning or summoning ravening swarms of rats. Some Grey Seers ride atop the nightmarish Screaming Bell to unleash untold ruination. More important than their ability to dominate battle, however, is their role as emissaries for the Council of the Thirteen, a position which often grants them the top rank. Marked at birth by their extremely rare fur color, anywhere from pure gray to nearly white, gray seers are also different from other litter spawnings, as they have small nub-like bony growths atop their heads. Should the gray seer live long enough, these will grow to become fully formed horns that command instant fear and subjugation from all other skaven. In their role as chief agents for the Lords of Decay, Grey Seers wield tremendous influence. The Grey Seers visit the Warlord clans for many self-serving reasons, such as seeking aid, building alliances, or gathering a coalition against a common foe. The ability to call counsel with top warlords allows the horned sorcerers to access the valuable insight and inside information, which they then use to their own advantage. The fact that Grey Seers ever use such tidings to further their own ends is, of course, denied by Seer Lord Critzlick. He is the leader of the Grey Seers, who also happens to occupy the first and most important seat on the Council of the Thirteen. Critzlick spends so much time vehemently denying any abuse of position or the sacrosanct nature of all clan dealings that he occasionally misses opportunities to exploit such precious information. It is their role of intermediaries for the Council of the Thirteen that grants the Grey Seers such power, and it is a position that they jealously guard. Even implied displeasure from a Grey Seer causes much self-castigation, however insincere. Not even the greater clans can easily afford so much as the merest slight to a Grey Seer. When manipulations fail to influence a warlord clan, a Grey Seer can bring many pressures to bear, a key weapon in the Grey Seer's political arsenal is their role as an envoy of the Great Horned Rat. The Grey Seers alone have the ability to summon a vermin lord, a threat often insinuated, but an act that the Grey Seers secretly wish to avoid. Luckily, no warlord wants to be accused of standing opposed to the will of the Great Horned Rat, or being anywhere near a vermin lord. Thus, the threat of summoning alone suffices to persuade even the most suspicious warlord to see the Grey Seer's point of view. Having the backing of a Grey Seer means that a clan is in ascendancy, and will gain supremacy in dealings with others. They may barter with the upper hand, and a Skaven with an advantage will press it mercilessly. It is always best to exploit such an advantage while it lasts, for it will only be a matter of time before the Seers call with their own demands. In Skaven society, it is well known that absolutely nothing comes without a steep reciprocal price. That is a great little overview of the Grey Seers and their function in Skaven society. What I like about the Grey Seers is, unlike, say, a similar position, Tau Ethereal, where the Ethereal commands a supernatural level 
of respect from other Tau, the Grey Seers are in a similar but not quite the same place. There's a lot of if they survive to adulthood, as there is with any Skaven. And in a lot of literature, it is considered bad luck or bad form to kill a Grey Seer. That doesn't necessarily stop assassination attempts or anything else from happening. So in this way, they're still part of this scheming, manipulative Skaven society, but they have this leg up of being chosen by the Horned Rat, though that doesn't guarantee their protection. The Grey Seers operate as their own clan, kind of like Clan Scryer or Clan Pestilens, but a smaller cabal of verminous sorcerers with their own goals and their own agendas, which I assume pleases the Horned Rat to no end, as he has always been really into and amused by his children's schemes and machinations. So I don't think he would really mind that they always have their own things going on while at least superficially serving his will. The lore for Grey Seers is fairly consistent throughout editions, the only change that we will see is actually a bit of a background change for them, and it's going to come in the later eras, and it's a bit of a, I think, cleanup of some lore that didn't make a whole lot of sense before, but we're going to wait until we get to 7th edition to address that. Now, let's talk about what we can do with Grey Seers in Hero Hammer. Grey Seers are the highest level of Skaven Mage, and boy do you pay for it. Firstly, the three levels below that are all the Clan Scryer Warlocks. There's the Warlock Engineer, Champion, and Master being spell levels 1, 2, and 3. Engineer starts at 56, Warlock Master starts at 190. The Grey Seer starts at 340. And there's a couple of reasons for this. His stat line is actually pretty decent. It reminds me a little bit of the Necromancer, who is another wizard-level character that is surprisingly fighty. The Grey Seer is Movement 5, Weapon Skill 6, Ballistic Skill 6, Strength 4, Toughness 4, 4 Wounds, Initiative 7, 4 Attacks, and Leadership 7. Not a bad profile at all. They don't start with much, just a sword. However, a Grey Seer can have up to four magical items, which is one more than your average general level character, and a very nice advantage to have. I like this profile for Grey Seers because a lot of what you would like to do with them is put them on a Screaming Bell, or at least have the option to do so, and the Screaming Bell is no slouch in 4th edition, causes strength 7 hits on the charge, you can make a very fighty unit with a Screaming Bell in the middle. And so your Grey Seer should be able to do a little bit of work in close combat. And he can with 4 attacks, weapon skill 6 and strength 4. There's a lot of things you can do with him. You can give him a magic sword and still give him 3 items to increase his magical efficiency, for example. There's a lot here to like about him, despite his high cost of entry. 
One thing that you should know is that Grey Seers in this edition cannot be the army's general, which is a little unfortunate. If you don't want to give him a Screaming Bell, he can also ride any monster from the Skaven monster list, which means you could do fun things like having a Grey Seer on a dragon, or a Manticore, or whatever you want. It seems a little odd to look at Skaven wizards without a cursory knowledge of what kind of Skaven magic you can do in 4th edition. And Skaven magic is pretty interesting. There's a lot of cool stuff here and things that would continue on throughout the eras. There are 10 spells in total as Hero Hammer gave us the widest variety of spells for our spell decks. Though actually, by the time they get to 7th edition, they can technically choose from more spells than they can here. But only sort of. So Skaven Magic starts off with Warp Lightning, which is power 2, d6, strength 5 hits, range of 24. This is your classic magic missile. No armor saves allowed. This one's alright. Power 2 is a little bit expensive, but you are getting that strength 5 hit. Cracks Call otherwise known as the Bane of Nathan's Lizardmen. Another power 2, range of 18. It models in the affected area, must try to leap aside or die. This was the famed initiative check that my Saurus Warriors just pretty much auto-failed. Ugh, cracks call. Next up is Scorch. This one would stay around for a long time. It is another magic missile. It's a flame attack. Except in this edition, it hits an enemy unit, and then each model must test. And on the d6 roll of a 6, it suffers 1 strength 3 hit. And you could cast it on terrain to make that terrain catch fire on a 3+, if you so chose. Then there was Poison Wind. This was a power 3, 24-inch. It was a template, and I think it was a 2-inch, but I might be wrong on that one. Causes d6 wounds on a 5 or a 6 with no armor saves allowed. The ever popular Skitter Leap was next. This might be my favorite of the Skaven spells. It's just, it's so them, right? It's, you can use it to get in position, but you can always, but you can also use it to run away. It was only power 1, had a range of 3 inches, so you're usually casting it on yourself. Moves caster or other model anywhere on the battlefield, with some exceptions. Then there was Plague, another one that would stay around. Power 3, 18 inches. Victim suffers 2d6 wounds minus toughness, passes from model to model. This one could do some terrible, terrible things to a regiment. I've been on the wrong side of Plague. It is brutal. Then there was Pestilent Breath. It is a template that causes one wound on a 4+, only magic armor saves allowed. This one was a small template, so you might be thinking of the big flame template that 4th and 5th edition had. This wasn't quite that. Then there was Vermintide, and in 4th and 5th edition, this was an actual template. It was a template that looked like a bunch of scurrying little rats. It was super cute. It was power 2, range of 3d6. It was a moving template that causes strength 3 hits at minus 1 armor save. Good against chaff. Certainly, those rats could eat up my goblins pretty quick, but you're probably not going to cast that against anything that's got a proper armor save or toughness. Then there was Wither. This one could be okay, especially if you were on a Screaming Bell. It was only power 1, and it was d6 strength 6 hits on enemy models in base contact. 
Then there was Putrefy, which is one that I think is a really good utility spell. Power 1, range of 24, enemy unit must take a panic test and will break and flee if it fails. Units that pass suffer minus 1 to hit and it lasts 1 turn. That's huge. Even just for the minus 1 to hit, I would cast that, but the extra little chance to break the unit, I love it. I think it's a great spell. Then there was Madness. Skaven may control enemy model. Gray Seers only remains in play. And that was a power 2, 24 inch. God, this is giving me flashbacks to Shadow of the Horned Rat. And playing that. And Madness is the worst spell to have cast on you. You need to kill the Gray Seer before he gets to you. Because otherwise he's going to cast Madness on all of your most important units. And they're going to go off and fight your other most important units. And you're going to lose the battle almost immediately. And this has happened to me way too many times. <sighs> and as an aside, if you want to hear myself and Scott talk all about Shadow of the Horned Rat, that is actually one of our Patreon episodes. It was our first one. Second to last on the spell list, we have Death Frenzy. And this is a neat one. You have to cast it on a unit within six and it casts and it's three power to cast, but a friendly unit gets times two movement and times two attacks. They must charge and they suffer D6 wounds per turn. Only Gracier's could cast this and it remains in play. Finally, the one that I think everybody remembers from Skaven Magic. It was around in this early era and it stuck around. Curse of the Horned One. Power 3, 12-inch range, Grey Seers only, and this is the one that turned enemy models into Skaven. Another one that I can't stand because it's been used against me so many times. Skaven magic is pretty cool. About the only downside was the universal downside of there being 10 magic cards. So even at a level 4 wizard, as a Grey Seer was, you weren't really guaranteed to get what you were looking for out of the spells. If I was playing Skaven in 4th edition or 5th edition, a Grey Seer would be very high on my list of characters to take. I think they're quite good. I think they open up a lot of options for you. And they're so iconic of the Skaven that you might as well just take them. The other great thing about Skaven is they're always so cheap in terms of regiments that you've got the points to put into some of the the more fun characters and war machines and things, which are the reason that you're playing Skaven in the first place. Now let's talk a little bit about the Vermin Lords. These are the guys that the Grey Seers can summon, though they don't really like to because... As cruel and wicked as any Skaven can be, they cannot compare to the Vermin Lord. There are few sights more revolting and unnatural than a Vermin Lord, a demon of the horned rat. These horrific creatures exude an aura of might, creeping decay, and inscrutable knowledge, for they are nothing less than the power of the great horned one made manifest. A Vermin Lord is at once majestic and disgusting, a living icon of ruin the ultimate scavenger. Although such a being towers in height, it is lethe and quick, its movements evoking the fluid yet twitchy scuttling of rats. Great spiraling horns bedeck the vermin lord's head, and any onlooker finds that he cannot look away from the nightmarish creature, yet at the same time fervently hopes not to make eye contact. And this is wise, 
for even the passing attention of such an ancient and wicked being is enough to stop a man's heart. Few dare to meet a vermin lord's all-seeing gaze for even an instant, and none can hold it. To summon a vermin lord from across the great veil requires sacrifice and ritual. Such creatures are not meant to walk the earth, and the natural world protests the vermin lord's warped presence. The air moves and seems to bend light, cradling the dreadful being in an aura of unholy contamination. Grass will blacken at the touch of a vermin lord's hooves, and all hope fades in its ruinous presence. Ominous foreboding precedes a vermin lord, and even the lords of decay fear being in the all-knowing presence of the living avatar of the great horned one. It is said that the vermin lord always knows the truth, and it is no use embellishing the truth or attempting to deceive such a fiend. The unearthly power of a vermin lord allows it to smell lies, even as they are spoken. A vermin lord is eternally calculating a myriad of interweaving plots, ever seeking the best path towards some desired end. The creature is never still, constantly pacing, stopping to tilt its head as if sniffing for the future. When the time for action comes, however, the vermin lord manifests all the feral savagery of the Skaven race. Its rage is terrifying to behold, and few mortals can stand against it. The sinuous body contains a might and strength to challenge a greater demon, and lesser creatures are swept aside in droves. At need, a vermin lord can summon a powerful and wicked glaive, which it swings in deadly and unstoppable arcs. The Grey Seers hold the keys to summon the vermin lords, and they keep the rituals secret. Only at times of great need will the Grey Seers attempt to tear the veil of reality, and they are loath to do so fearing to summon up what they cannot dismiss. A vermin lord is wiser and more wicked than any living skaven, and yet it retains its lust for power and its treacherous love of betrayal. A bargain struck with one of the vermin lords will bring great power to the supplicant, but, as with all skaven deals, the cost will be high. The vermin lord is a lovely addition to the skaven, and it's the type of thing that kind of roots them in their tradition of being creatures of chaos. Skaven are so well-developed in Warhammer Fantasy that you don't always think of them in the same terms as some of the other creatures of chaos like beastmen or demons, where they are very clearly peons of the dark gods. Skaven are also born of twisting chaos and mutation, but they have such character, and they have their own god, they have their own culture and ways, and they don't really think of themselves as servants of the Chaos Powers, but they are intrinsically linked. And one of those links is the fact that they have their own greater demon. And that whatever kind of entity that the Horned Rat is, it is very clearly of the same chaotic nature as the Dark Gods themselves. I feel a little bad starting in Hero Hammer for the Vermin Lord, and that is because, like in so many examples with characters and monsters, it is at its most powerful in its debut in Hero Hammer, and it will get progressively weaker as we go through the eras. A Vermin Lord will set you back 600 points. He is very expensive. But... You get a lot for this. The Vermin Lord is Movement 8, Weapon Skill 8, Ballistic Skill 8, Strength 8, Toughness 7, 7 Wounds, Initiative 10, 
8 attacks, and leadership 10. Quite a profile. The exact kind of thing you expect when you hear the word Greater Demon. In Special Rules, he has Greater Demon, which gives him a demonic aura that gives him a saving throw of 4+. He causes terror, which one would expect. He has the Doomglaive. The Doomglaive is a simple yet powerful magical item that any hit from a Doomglaive inflicts not one but d3 wounds. This is pretty huge against other monsters or demons or whatever big multi-wound thing that you want to fight with the Vermin Lord. And last but not least, he is a magic level 4 wizard who can use any spell from the Skaven deck, including those that can only be cast by Grey Seers. So when we think back to the Grey Seer, he was 340 points, and this guy is 600. So you're paying an extra 260 points, but you are getting a ridiculous stat line. You're getting his Doomglaive. I like this guy a lot. I know he's 600 points, and I know... As far as competitive play goes, he's probably going to be too expensive. I'm sure for 600 points, you can probably do more than this Vermin Lord can on his own. That being said, I think he might be one of the best greater demons in this era. Movement 8 is huge. He is very speedy quick across the battlefield, and movement is king in Hero Hammer. And getting something so powerful up the board so fast is worth a lot in my books. The fact that he is a level 4 wizard is uh, not too shabby, and I really like the Doomglaive. Think about 8 attacks at strength 8, so you're at minus 5 to armor saves, you're basically ignoring armor saves, and doing not 1, but d3 wounds. That's big. I think there's a lot that he could just cut to pieces. He's got that initiative 10. I don't like his durability, with only a 4-plus save, that's going to be ignored a lot of the time. Really, the only thing protecting him is his toughness of 7, which is good. But he also has 7 wounds, which is a lot to get through. I think it's going to be hard to pick up the Vermin Lord off the table before he causes some real havoc in Hero Hammer. I really like this guy a lot. Another fun thing about the Vermin Lord is that he easily fit on a 40mm base, and having something this powerful on a 40mm base is kind of hilarious. We are almost done with the Hero Hammer era, but before we go, I want to share with you a little story from the 4th edition Skaven army book that fits our themes today to a T. Their armies were glorious, invincible, Tens of thousands of proud rat warriors marching over the lands above, laying waste to everything in their path. When Grey Seer Skritar had seen the moon bleeding tears of warpstone, they had turned east, back towards the misty peaks of the World Edge Mountains. To cross the swollen waters of the River Stir, the Grey Seer had ordered the construction of a mighty wooden bridge. Many slaves died from felling the great oak trees and toppling them into the river. Many more died when the Grey Seer sacrificed their souls in thanks for the army's safe passage. East of the river, the land had become wilder and less populated, and the Skaven army made good time through the woods and over the moors. They were possessed of a strange urgency, as if something was pulling them irresistibly forward. 
The eyes of the Grey Seer burned with naked warp-lust as he urged his troops onwards. As Skritar became more and more preoccupied, his apprentices started to scheme behind his back. Kraslik, too, could feel the calling of the warp-stone. He started to hear whispers in his mind, which grew and grew until a constant stream of alien thoughts washed through him. Plots, schemes, tales of treachery, promises of power, fragments of ancient evil spells. A terrible madness burned through Kraslik and, and gnawed at his soul. He began to crave power for its own sake. One fell night, when thunder clashed and lightning split the sky, he murdered the other two apprentices and consumed their souls in an orgy of destruction. After that, his power burned stronger, and he deliberately began to plot the downfall of Skritar. Confident and purposeful, the Skaven force reached the borders of the lands known to men as Sylvania. Grey Seer Skritar drove his troops harder and harder, forcing them to march until they could move their heavy limbs no longer. While they rested, Kraslik moved among the weary rat warriors like an evil shadow, spreading dissension and malice. When they found the first meteor, Skritar cracked it open and consumed the warp stone immediately to boost his power, and Kraslik hated him for it. For the first week after they crossed over the border into Sylvania, the Skaven encountered no opposition. The land seemed empty. The few human settlements they came across were deserted. Skritar had proclaimed that the humans had fled before the unstoppable advance of the Skaven army, and no one gainsaid him. They found only a few tiny meteors, which Skritar took for himself and kept on his person. Kraslik's resentment grew, and he became insanely jealous. In the foothills of the World's Edge Mountains, beside a nameless town of drab stone buildings, the Skaven met their first opposition. A small force of humans attacked them. They were men, but not men. Some looked like walking cadavers. Others were nothing more than skeletons hung with rags. Even to the Skaven, accustomed to foul odors, the stench of rot and decay was nauseating. And how they fought! These undead men never tired, never ran away. True, they were slow, where the nimble Skaven could twist, run, and dart. But they were relentless. The only way to stop them was to destroy them, hack them apart, break their skeletons into pieces, and scatter the bones until the last shambling horror lay twitching on the ground. The Skaven won this first battle, but it was their first and only triumph. The further they progressed into the mountains, the more often they were attacked, and the larger the undead forces became. Even the greater frequency of Warpstone didn't help. Skritar had to eat most of it just to fuel his battle spells. As the Skaven army dwindled, and the enemy became more vicious, they had to rely increasingly on magic to survive. The Grey Seer was forced to give the odd shard of Warpstone to Kraslik, so he too could use his magic against the undead. After a battle that lasted two long days, Grey Seer Skritar ordered the army to retreat home. They were reduced to a tenth of their original strength. Tired and unused to defeat, the despondent warriors were fertile ground for Kraslik's sedition. Madness and jealousy boiled through his brain. Skritar was a dawdling old fool. He, Kraslik, could conquer Sylvania and claim the Warpstone for his own. He, Kraslik, would lead his mighty armies to conquer the other clans and claim their territory for himself. He, Kraslik, would touch the pillar, defeat one of the Lords of Decay, and take his place on the council. One night when the moons burned high in the sky, forbidden words of power spilled from his mouth. Dark energies whirled around his body, 
and blood spewed from his nose and ears. A great claw sliced through the curtain of reality, and the majestic form of the vermin lord stepped into the material world. It reached down, grabbed Kraslik by his tail, and dangled the terrified Skaven before its eyes. Ah, Kraslik, it said, in a voice redolent with ancient evil. You have finally called me. Let us discuss my plans. I love that story. I think it is a great little vignette. Again, it shows that where the Grey Seers hold this authority, it doesn't stop the natural plotting and treachery of the Skaven. Also interesting to see that it's implied that the Vermin Lord wormed its way into Kraslik's brain and gave him the knowledge on how to summon it, and then basically did the summoning ritual using Kraslik as the tool to summon itself into the world. Very cool, very Skaven-ish thing to do. All right, it is time for us to move on through history. Let's head to 6th edition. The 6th edition Skaven book brought a lot of interesting changes to the army. The book itself was divided by clans in the bestiary portion of the book, which was a really interesting way to do it for Skaven and was a very marked change from the Hero Hammer era. Along with the themed lists that would come at the back of the book, Sixth Ed Skaven presented a much more compartmentalized view of the race itself, where you really got the sense that while these clans intermixed on the battlefield, they were very different in terms of structure, culture, and lifestyle. The Grey Seers, of course, being the exception to this, where they would move about and lead the clans in doing the will of the Council of the Thirteen. The Grey Seer in 6th edition has taken the 6th edition nerf to wizards and to all heroes, but especially wizards. He is not a very impressive rat as far as stat lines go, but he does still have some tricks up his sleeve. Firstly, the Grey Seer is a lord choice in 6th edition, and that means that they can lead your armies, unlike in Hero Hammer. And if you want magic in a Skaven list in 6th edition, at least in the main section of the Skaven list, you're going to really want a Grey Seer, because you don't have a natural hero-level wizard. The Warlock Engineers of 6th edition were a level 1 wizard, but they had no spells, which uh, is not fantastic if you want to cast spells. So really, the Grey Seer becomes an almost mandatory choice. He is the most expensive Lord choice. There is only two Lord choices in 6th edition in the basic book. That is the Warlord at 90 and the Grey Seer at 235 points. So he has come down a fair bit from his Hero Hammer points levels. The Grey Seer, once again, starts with a hand weapon, and he is a level 4 wizard. But he starts the game with four Warpstone tokens now as well. And Warpstone tokens are interesting. The Grey Seers could munch on them to enhance their magical powers. And it was really neat that in this edition they actually started with them. And we'll see that carry on to 7th as well. They could of course mount a Screaming Bell for 200 points. 
and they could choose a mix of magic items to a total of 100 points. The Grey Seer's profile is Movement 5, Weapon Skill 3, Ballistic Skill 3, Strength 3, Toughness 4, 3 Wounds, Initiative 5, 1 Attack, and Leadership 6, a far cry from his glory days in 4th. What I do like about the Grey Seers in 6th is that they can lead armies, which just makes so much more sense than in 4th edition, but 4th edition was very notorious for making you choose a general of this type who must lead your army, as opposed to giving you any kind of options. 5th edition got a little bit better for that, but only very slightly. It wasn't until 6th edition that we really saw a good amount of choice in your lords, and the Skaven list doesn't do it a whole lot of justice, seeing as there is only two lord choices, but other books were better. Skaven spells in 6th were trimmed down, as you would expect, from Hero Hammer, and you had four possibilities. You had Skitterleap, Warp Lightning, Vermintide, Pestilent Breath, Death Frenzy, and Plague. And in the Skaven section on magic, we learn a little bit about how the Warlock Engineers can't actually cast spells, but they were level 1 wizards in all other respects. The way that Irresistible Force worked for Skaven has been changed as well. You no longer got Irresistible Force on the roll of two sixes, but if the total of your dice is 13 before modifiers, then the spell is cast with Irresistible Force. I like that as a silly little change. I think that's quite fun and thematic. And it also gave us our info on our Warpstone tokens that the Gracers could munch on. It allowed you to use more power dice than normal, and even cast spells without using normal power dice. If you wanted to say munch on two tokens, that would give you two dice. For any of the dice that were generated by these warp tokens that rolled a one, your Skaven wizard suffers a wound with no saves of any kind. So it could kill you, like any good Skaven item should. We'll quickly go over the spells of 6th edition here. A lot of them are very similar to their 5th ed incarnations. Of course, we're missing some classics like Scorch, but this was trimmed down from 10 to 6, so we had to lose some along the way. Skitterleap is the basic spell cast on a 4. It can be cast on any man-sized character within 12 inches, so you got a little bit more flexibility with how you want to cast that in 6th ed. And it remained a place the wizard anywhere on the table outside of one of enemy models. And specifically, you could not cast this on a Gracier riding a Screaming Bell, though it would have been hilarious if you could have. The next up is Warp Lightning. This is a magic missile. D6 strength 5 hits. Or 2d6 strength 5 hits if you cast it on a 9. This was one of the first dual cast spells that would become much more popular in 8th edition. It cast on a 5 usually for that d6 or a 9 for that 2d6. Unfortunately, each result of a 1 that is rolled when determining the number of hits caused by any version of the spell hits the caster rather than the enemy. So another one where you could very quickly fry yourself if you were unlucky. 7 was Vermintide. Vermintide worked the same way in that it was a template, except instead of its own special template, it was now the Large Blast template. You would put that template down, move it in a straight line up to 46 away from the Grey Seer, 
and anything that was touched at all suffered 3d6 strength to hits. Again, pretty good at clearing out chaff. You could even cast it in combat, in which case it would just do 3d6 strength to hits to the unit opposite to you in combat. That cast on a 7. Pestilent Breath cast on an 8. This was a flame template that did strength 3 hits with no armor saves allowed. Partials on 4+. plus. This cast on an 8. Pretty good. And could also be cast into combat doing d6 hits. Death Frenzy cast on a 9. This gave a unit Frenzy. And the spell itself didn't remain in play, but the effect of Frenzy lasted until the unit lost to combat. Which is just like your normal Frenzy. What was really interesting is if you cast this on a unit that was already Frenzied, they would go into Death Frenzy. <laughs> the rules for Death Frenzy are the same, but models gained one further attack. So you got plus two attacks for your Frenzy. And units that were Death Frenzied had to roll a d3 at the end of each Skaven turn. The number rolled would be the wounds suffered by the unit, with no saves allowed. That cast on a 9. Finally, cast on a 13 was Plague. You would cast this on an enemy unit within 18 inches, or a friendly unit if you wanted to, and each model in the unit must take a toughness test, and if the test is failed, the model suffers a wound with no armor saves allowed, and what's really fun is if you cast it on a unit engaged in close combat, all units involved in the fight from both sides will be affected. So you could do a neat little trick where you ran some cheap rats into an enemy battle line, maybe let them get charged a bit, and cast this and try and hit multiple enemy units in one go, for the low, low cost of probably killing a bunch of your own Skaven. But you were already doing that, let's be fair. After you worked out the effects of the spell, you would roll a d6. On a 1 or 2, the spell backfires, and the opponent can decide to either end the spell or choose any one unit that is within 6 inches of any unit that has been affected by the plague during this magic phase. The chosen unit will be affected by the spell. On a 3 or 4, the spell ends, and on a 5 or 6, you as the casting player get to choose a unit within 6 to have the plague jump to. This is a little bit more reminiscent of the Hero Hammer era magic, where it's a little bit more powerful. However, with a 13 casting value, not an easy spell to cast in 6th edition. These spells are, I think, fine for the era. Magic in 6th edition, as we've covered multiple times, just didn't have that punch that it had in a lot of the other editions. It was probably the weakest we see magic at all. That being said... I think in 6th edition, the Grey Seer is worth his cost, if only because he's really your only wizard choice in this army, unless you're going to go off book. And what I mean by that is, there was a few Skaven units that just didn't make the cut for 6th edition. This happened to every single book. It was particularly painful for Skaven, though, I feel, because they lost two very iconic units from Hero Hammer in the Doom Wheel and the Vermin Lord. In the grim dark era of the early 2000s, I feel like both of those things were maybe looked upon as a little bit silly, and Warhammer was trying to be a serious game for serious people, and that's why they were left out. But for whatever reason they were left out of the Skaven book, they would get 6th edition rules just a little bit later on. In Citadel Journal number 49. 
Now, as an aside, I have a little bit of an issue with the way that Games Workshop did rules in this era, because they were so spread out. Because you had your army books, you would also get regular White Dwarf rules, and then Citadel Journal would also post rules and lists and other things, whatever they felt like. And it could be very hard to know what was available for your army. For example, I had no idea that 6th edition rules for the Vermin Lord and the Doomwheel existed before I started researching this episode. And I played all the way through the 6th edition era. I just thought that they had been cut and didn't get added back in until 7th. But they were here for most of 6th edition's run. You just wouldn't have known it if you didn't pick up Citadel Journal. And Citadel Journal bothers me a little bit more than White Dwarf. White Dwarf is very easily accessible, either at local game stores or if you have a games workshop. They're generally always going to have it. Citadel Journal was not as prevalent, certainly not past the 90s. And I, I do love the content in Citadel Journal. It's just that much more of a barrier to someone who is looking to have all of the rules for their force. And I know Citadel Journal isn't considered as official as some other sources, but I guess what I'm saying is it was a weird era for printing rules and where rules showed up, and it seemed to be somewhat random. When we pop in to Citadel Journal number 49, we will find both rules for the Doomwheel and rules for the Vermin Lord. We're not interested in the Doomwheel today, though Skaven Wonder Weapons is an episode that I really want to do at some point down the road. We're going to look at the Vermin Lord. He is 650 points, meaning he has bumped up 50 points from his 4th edition profile, and unfortunately he's gotten a bit of a downgrade. The Vermin Lord is Movement 8, Weapon Skill 8, Ballistic Skill 0, Strength 6, Toughness 6, 6 Wounds, Initiative 10, 6 Attacks, and Leadership 9. As you can see, he has lost a lot in terms of Strength, Toughness, and Attacks. He also takes a Lord, a Hero, and a Rare choice for your army, and he is unable to get any other type of equipment or anything. He always has to be fielded as is. He's gained some special rules. He has gained the Demonic Instability rule. So just like other demons of the era, if he loses a combat, he will take wounds equal to what he lost the combat by. And if this kills him, he just pops out of existence. I don't mind this rule for him because he is the greater demon of the Horned Rat. He should be bound to the same rules as a regular demon, and this just does this. The Vermin Lord is immune to psychology. He stands alone and may never join units. He is the Horned Rat Incarnate. All friendly Skaven units with at least one model within six inches of the Vermin Lord are immune to psychology. That might be a useful one in sixth. He has a demonic aura. This gives him a five-up ward save. So this is a bit of a trade-off from his Hero Hammer profile. In Hero Hammer, he got the four-up save. But demonic saves in Hero Hammer could actually be modified as per normal armor saves. Where a 5-up ward save cannot be, making the 5-up ward save probably superior to the regular 4 save. He has Terror, which we expect. 
he has the Doom Glaive. The Doom Glaive has a bit of a downgrade in this edition. All it does is ignore armor saves. Now, he's only strength 6 as opposed to strength 8 in this era, so he's less likely to ignore all armor saves right out the go, but he's still minus 3 to armor saves, which I think is enough in most situations. So I would still probably rather have the D3 wounds, but unfortunately that is gone, so ignoring armor saves, not the worst thing in the world. Finally, he is a spellcaster with a magic level of 4, and in all ways, an equivalent to a Grey Seer. This version of the Vermin Lord is still quite potent, though I think you have to play him a lot smarter than you would in Hero Hammer. In this one, he is a little bit more vulnerable to those weaker attacks with only toughness 6. He's even more expensive than he was. I like him, but I don't like him as much as I liked him in Hero Hammer. That's going to do us for 6th edition. Now we go to the ultimate, the final, Skaven army book. 7th edition, here we come. I always felt it was quite strange that Skaven never got an 8th edition army book. Skaven, one of the more iconic and original races of Warhammer Fantasy. However, the 7th edition army book worked so well in 8th edition, I guess they just weren't as far up on the list as some of the other races for needing that upgrade. I probably have the most experience playing against Skaven in this era, and they were my Achilles heel for whatever reason. And maybe the reason was that I played a lot of lizard men and got cracks called and curse of the horned one into oblivion every game. But I seem to really, really struggle with the children of the horned rat. Let's start off by taking a look at our Grey Seer. Our Grey Seer is 240 points in this edition, so just a little jump of 5 points. He has Movement 5, Weapon Skill 3, Ballistic Skill 3, Strength 3, Toughness 4, 3 Wounds, Initiative 5, 1 Attack, and Leadership 7. This is a very similar Seer to the one that we saw in 6th edition. His Mount option is the same, a Screaming Bell for 200 points and he can have up to 100 points of magic items. Where he changes is that in his magic rules, he's still level 4, but he can use spells of ruin or spells of plague. In 7th edition, Games Workshop decided to break up the Skaven magic list. I guess they just had too many spells that they wanted to get in there, and Skaven magic has always had this kind of dichotomy between the spells that are sort of themed towards clan pestilence and plague and inflicting diseases and that kind of thing, and the more classic kind of Skaven spells like Scorch and Skitterleap that are a little bit more generic and lacking that particular theme. One thing I should mention as well is the Warpstone tokens do make a comeback, but this time the Grey Seers only get D3 Warpstone tokens, I guess there's a little bit of a shortage going on in Skaven Blight at the moment. Let's take a little look at the different Skaven magics of 7th. Firstly, the Spells of Ruin. These are the more generic of the Skaven spells. We start off with Skitterleap, then Warp Lightning, Howling Warp Gale, Death Frenzy, Scorch, and Crack's Call. A lot of these making their return from Hero Hammer, 
as they now have more room since Skaven magic has been divided. Skitter Leap is pretty much how we remember it, except it casts on a 5. Warp Lightning now casts on a 6, does that d6 strength 5 hits, and the caster suffers the hit if a 1 is rolled. In this edition, there is no option for that boosted cast. Howling Warp Gale is one that has been added in. It casts on a 7, and it summons magical winds. Flying creatures may not fly and must use their basic movement, and all missile weapons that roll to hit suffer a minus one penalty in addition to any other penalties. This spell does not affect Skaven missile weapons, as the unnatural winds are diverted by the caster himself. I really like that one. Casts on a seven, not too bad. Death Frenzy is back. Casts on a nine, does basically the same thing, except everyone now goes into that death frenzy mode so it no longer gives frenzy and then gives death frenzy if you were frenzied now it just gives death frenzy for those plus two attacks and units that are death frenzied suffer d6 automatic wounds with no armor saves at the end of every friendly turn so this spell now has only one setting and that setting is 11. scorch comes back and it casts on a 10 and this time it is a template Anywhere within 24 inches, models touched suffer strength for hits that count as flaming. And any unit that suffers unsaved wounds must take a panic test. Finally, the one that I always hate the most, Cracks Call, casts on an 11. It is a 46 line in any direction from the caster's line of sight. Any models in its path must make an initiative test to leap out of the way. Models that fail are removed as casualties. And instead of taking an initiative test, war machines and chariots must instead roll a 5 plus or be destroyed. Can also collapse buildings as well. It is a really nasty spell against a lot of armies, especially a lot of armies that I like, such as orcs and goblins and the lizardmen. Now let's pop over to Plague. Start off with Pestilent Breath. This is the Flame Template. Any model underneath suffers a strength to hit with no armor saves allowed. So you could you could get lucky and kill some elite things with this as well as kind of chaff. You can cast it in combat, in which case it does d6 hits instead of the flame template. Bless with filth, cast on a 7. A friendly unit within 12 has poisoned attacks in close combat. Really like this one. And if the unit already has poisoned attacks... The Warriors will cause an automatic wound on a to-hit roll of 5 instead of the normal 6. Have your Plague Monks just eat monsters for breakfast. Wither is next, casts on an 8. And for this one, we want to choose a unit within 12 inches. The toughness value of all models in that unit is reduced by 1. And the effects last for the rest of the game. Any creatures reduced to toughness 0 are removed as casualties. Next up is Vermintide that also casts on an 8. And this one is almost exactly the same as its 6th edition counterpart. Large round blast template moves in a straight line 46, and all units touched by the template as it moves suffers 3d6 strength 2 hits. And you can still cast it in combat, where it just hits the unit opposite you. Then we get Cloud of Corruption. This is an aura, so you roll a dice for every unit within 12 inches of the caster, friend and foe, and even if they are in close combat. Enemy units are affected on the roll of a 2+, and friendly units on a 4+. And if your friendly models are from Clan Pestilence, then they are only 
affected on a 5+. Each unit that is affected suffers d6 strength 5 hits, with no armor saving throws allowed. I like this one as well, as it is basically like having a turn with a fanatic slamming into every unit. Finally, there is Plague. This still casts on a 13, and this one is almost entirely identical to the 6th edition counterpart that causes toughness tests and can jump from unit to unit. We won't go over all of its rules again because it, it is so similar. Then we have a bonus spell at the end. This one casts on a 25, which is not super impressive if you think about 8th edition, but in 7th edition this would have been much harder to cast. This spell can affect a single infantry unit within 24 inches and line of sight of the caster. If successfully cast, the spell turns 4d6 of the targeted unit's models into clan rats. If the number rolled is larger than the number of models in the targeted unit, remove the enemy models and replace them with clan rats with any normally allowed equipment or command. The casting player now controls this unit. And of course, if you didn't have the extra clan rats, the effect then was that those models that you hit with this spell just died. This was a brutal spell. There was no saves, there was nothing. It was just, hey, guess what, this unit, it's clan rats now, and it's my clan rats, not even your clan rats. Absolutely devastating. Skaven magic in 7th and 8th I rate very highly because you get your choice from so many spells, you can do so much, and Skaven Magic has utility as well as damage. It does a little bit of everything. And in 7th and 8th edition, you're not stuck with only having the Grey Seer as your casters. You get things like Plague Priests and Warlock Engineers that now can cast spells as well. Finally, we have the Vermin Lord. The Vermin Lord is back in the book. He's a Lord choice. He is 500 points which is the cheapest that we have seen for him, and his stats unfortunately reflect that. Still movement 8 and weapon skill 8, his ballistic skill has bounced back slightly to 4, strength 6, toughness 5, 5 wounds, initiative 10, and 5 attacks, with a leadership of 8. He is a level 4 wizard and can choose his spells from either the Spells of Ruin or the Skaven Spells of Plague in the same way that a Grey Seer would. Much like a Grey Seer, he can also substitute one spell for the dreaded 13th spell should he choose. And I should mention the Grey Seer could also substitute a spell for Skitterleap too. So you could always have those two spells if you wanted them. The Vermin Lord had... Several special rules. He had Scurry Away, which was an army-wide special rule that, well, helped them get away a little bit faster if they were fleeing. He had Immune to Psychology, Large Target, Terror, and a 5-up ward save. He also had Rat Demon. A Vermin Lord is a monster and can never join units, nor be the army general. Vermin Lords are a type of demon and are affected by any rules, abilities, weapons, spells, and so on that work against demons. Finally, his Doomglaive is back to where it should be. The Doomglaive is a powerful weapon from beyond. Each unsaved wound caused by the Doomglaive is multiplied to d3 wounds. I do like this a little bit better than the Ignore's Armor Saves, where he is strength 6. He just keeps taking hits in these Skaven books, though. Down to toughness 5, down to 5 wounds, down to 5 attacks. Ugh, it just doesn't feel as good. And still 500 points. 
I don't know about him in seventh ed. He's still small on a 40 mil base. And I think there's a lot of play there. Still get around quite quickly with that movement of eight. I, I've never really seen him on the battlefield. So this is a lot of conjecture on my part. But this is the Vermin Lord I think I like the least. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of our retrospective here. Going through the Grey Seers and the Vermin Lords of the era, and some of their magic as well. I think there is something special and fun about Skaven spellcasters. The Skaven have always been a high-risk, high-reward army, and I think the Grey Seers and the Vermin Lords reflect that quite well. The Vermin Lords being powerful, yet somewhat fragile demons who are going to cost you a ton of points to put on the table, but have some real upsides to them. The Grey Seers, your classic wizard lords, but with that scaveny twist, things like warp tokens that allow you to gamble on more dice. Everything about the Horned Rats Chosen is just really, really fun, really cool, and I like the relationship between the Grey Seers and the Vermin Lords as well. This threat that they can hold over the rest of Skavendom, but don't really call their bluff on it because they really don't want to summon a Vermin Lord. All good things. I thought briefly about working in the Vermin Lords from the end times in this episode, but decided against it. I just don't know that this audience is super interested in things that happen in the end times. I generally am not. However, there were some bigger, badder Vermin Lords added in there. If you would like me to cover some of that end times content in these retrospectives, do let me know because I'm willing to do it. I just wouldn't do it naturally on my own because for me, Warhammer proper ends with 8th edition and the madness that is end times. I really only, I only usually mention it in the lore sections when something particularly crazy happened in the end times and I want to discuss it a little bit. Otherwise, I do tend to ignore it a fair bit here. If it is something that you folks would like me to talk about, I'll talk about it. That's going to be it for this one. I hope you've enjoyed our little look into the uh, magical servants of the Horned Rat. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the War Games Orchard. If you like the show, why not support us on Patreon? Our Patreon is where you will find our bonus content, and is totally non-tiered, so for whatever donation you'd like, you can have access to all of our bonus content. If Patreon's not your thing, then consider giving us a 5-star rating on your podcast platform of choice, and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch with us, check out what's new with the War Games Orchard, or just say hello, you can find us on Facebook, our community page is the Warhammer Orchard, and while you're there, you can follow our regular page, the Wargames Orchard. Outside of Facebook, you can get a hold of us by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. Cowards! Gather! Stop run scampering!